First through fifth graders, have fun at your class. We're thankful for the leaders who are down there serving uh, so that they can be taught that same truth. This I know, my shepherd will protect me. What a beautiful song that we just sang. And I know that depending on how your week or year or life has gone, that's probably really hard to believe. You can sing it, but there's days it's really hard to believe. And I hope if, if you're in that camp that after we look at what Christ himself prayed on our behalf, on your behalf, that you can see indeed he's the shepherd that will protect you. And he's trusting your protection to something much more powerful than anything you can affect on your own. I hope that this sinks in as we talk about what Christ's priorities for, what he was trusting here at the end of his life. So if you haven't been with us, uh, last week we started a new series called The Heart of Jesus. And this takes place in the upper room towards the end of the Last Supper. After Christ has done some teaching, we, we go through that, 13 through chapter 16 in John. We'll be in 17 as he prays in front of the disciples. So in front of the disciples for a reason, so that they would hear what he's talking about to the Father at the end of his life. At the end of our lives, there's some things that go through our minds that, that show us what we trust in, what our priorities are. What do, you, what do you think about, not necessarily just at the end of your life, but at the most difficult moments? What's on your mind? What do you talk to God about? You know, I was thinking about that this week as I was reading what was on Christ's mind and as we start in verse 16. And I think, you know, I think a lot of us, for a lot of us, our families are going to be on our mind. As Nathan or I talk to someone who's reaching the end of their lives, a lot of time we talk about family. We talk about their kids, their grandkids. I know there's times where I've been worried for my family. The last couple of years, how is this pandemic going to affect my kids? And how, how are we going to, as a family, endure this? And difficult times, and, and the end of our lives especially, we are thinking about what's most important. We're also thinking about what we put our trust in. We get to see that as Christ prays this prayer that, that was prayed in front of the disciples, keeping in mind a couple things as we read these verses, that he was omniscient about everything that was going to happen to him. In the coming hours, everything he was going to go through, he knew. And he did this in front of them. There are many prayers he prayed where it just says Christ went off on his own to pray, and we don't know what he said. But he did this in front of them so that you and I could read this and hear what was on his heart as he neared his arrest and trial and execution. So keep those things in mind and, and be thinking about what you in dire circumstances have been thinking about. This is most important to me. What's most precious to me? What am I going to trust when everything falls apart and, and everything's against me? And maybe, maybe as we read this text together and talk about some of what was on Christ's heart, you can sing that same song with confidence that shepherd will protect me. Let's pray. Father, we're going to do something that is so important. Read this word that you've given us. You got it to us, gave it to us, so that it could transform our hearts. And just pray that that would happen today and this week as it continues to sink in, that they wouldn't, remind, they wouldn't remember anything else other than what your word says, because your word is truth. Just be with us in this time. Send your spirit to bring understanding. Speak for me and help them to hear you and not me. And Help them to see your, you and your heart as displayed in the flesh by Christ in this passage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're going to start in verse 6. Last week, if you were with us, Pastor Nathan talked about where Christ talks about glory. We're going to get into a section where he talks about 
what he's done in his ministry here on earth and what he does points towards what he trusts, but we'll get to that in a moment. We start in verse 6 where he says, I have manifested your name. It's important for us to understand what manifested means. Many of you probably have heard that word, maybe a manifest destiny or something like that, but what he's saying to the Father in the presence of the disciples is, I've made it abundantly clear in the flesh, tangibly knowable. Like they've seen it, felt it, heard it, lived with your name. It's not just something that's ambiguous anymore to the disciples. And in fact, in chapter 16, after all they've been through, they finally, it dawns on them. Oh, now we know. It's kind of a funny passage. If you go up after the service, read about 10 verses up, and they say, now we know that you are from God. Oh, like, what was your first clue after all these things you've seen? But they're no different than us. So he says he's made this clear. And then the name is important. It's not just he's given the identity of God to his disciples. He's made clear God's character. He's made clear God's personality, how God himself in the flesh, as though he was right here, because he is, would react to the circumstances that you see Christ react to. So he's made this clear to the disciples, because this is who he's praying about. The thems and theses in this passage are the disciples he's praying in front of. So he's starting to recall to the Father, here's what I've done in my ministry. This is what's taken place. At the end of his life, he's thinking about what he's done. To the people who you gave me out of the world. At the beginning of the disciples' ministry, they were in the world doing the jobs that they were called to do. Some of them were tax collectors, some of them were uh, fishermen, and they left that, they came out of that world into Christ's world, into service with him and followed him north and south and east and west through the years of his ministry, watching what Christ did on behalf of the Father. So they've been coming out of the world and given to him. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. This begins to show you the relationship between Christ. They have, this, they have this equality. Though the Son submits to the Father, they share and trust each other, the Son and the Father. And he says, I got them from you, and you'll see in a moment how he's taking care of them. They have kept your word. This is one of the first takeaways that we'll look at later is he points to what the disciples have done with what they've been given. As a, as a thing that he is proud of and shares with the Father at the end of his life is what the disciples have done in response to what he has shared. For they know everything that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. So Christ makes it clear the words, this, this teaching and example that he've give, he's given them, it's not just bullet points of the lessons that he taught or even just the miracles, but the entirety of who he was the Word, John starts his book talking about the Word became flesh. Now he's saying, I've given them all of this, but it came from you. And they have received them. So the first thing that he notes the disciples have done is, not only did they experience and view everything that Jesus did and say, oh, that's really amazing, is they received it. It sunk in a little bit and had an effect, changed the way they thought. And we see some of them continuing in their ways where, the, the disciples act out of their flesh and Jesus reigns them back in, but it began to take an effect. And I just ask if at the end of your life, when you look at what you've done, have you received it? But not only did they receive it, they have come to know in truth that I came from you. Jesus tethers everything he's done and said to the truth. This is the truth. It's not true, it's the truth. And because of that, it's sunk into the disciples and they know it. 
but that knowledge has a transformative effect, as it should for you and I, he says, and they have believed that you sent me. It changed the way they acted. What they knew and saw and what Christ had done changed the way they acted. And if you don't believe that, read Acts. Read Acts where they no longer have Christ right next to them, but indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they do some amazing things to share the gospel, go through terrible trials to share the gospel. Their faith is in action in the book of Acts. So we learn about the heart of Christ. We learn about at the end of his life, he's thinking about what's most precious to him. Spoiler alert, that's you and I, the disciples. He's thinking about what's most precious to him and what he's done. And we see this theme throughout this passage. It's a word that's not used, but I couldn't help but seeing that he trusts God's word. He says, I've given them who you are and made it abundantly clear to them. And it will have an effect. And he trusts that that's the truth. Nothing else. Not the circumstances that the disciples will find themselves in. Not how they feel as, as they scatter, as he predicted when he dies. But that the word that I've given them. He trusts that God's word is true and is meaningful because it came from him. We continue to see more about his heart where he says, I am praying for them in verse 9. Unlike manifested, this isn't in past tense. He says, I am praying for them. I'm doing this right now. Imagine, again, he's omniscient. He knows what's about to happen. The disciples are right there, probably in the room, finishing their bread, and they hear him say, they're praying for them. It's helpful for us to know as the church now, and, and later in this passage, he will say in verse 20, everything I just prayed for this disciple, these disciples, I'm praying for those who believe in their words. So you and I, it's helpful for us to know that, that this is still present tense. In Hebrews chapter 7, it says, he always lives to give intercession for you and I. Always lives for it. So he's doing that even now as he's praying for the disciples, for their care, for their protection. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who've given you, whom you have given me, for they are yours. See, Jesus didn't have to get on the same page as God the Father, like maybe you and your spouse have to in parenting your children. You know, if I say, hey, honey, should we take the kids to ice cream before I get on the same page as Sarah, it kind of causes a problem. But Christ has this abundant trust for God that he knows exactly what God's priority are, priorities are for his people, and recognizes that they were his to begin with. All mine are yours. He hammers this home. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Last week, we talked about glory, like I said, and this is surreal to me to read that when he's talking about the disciples, and he's talking about us later in verse 20, he says, all of this applies to the, the future church. He says, as important as we are as being God the fathers, we'll be glorified in he will be glorified in what we do. I am no longer in the world. So he gets to the point of what his concern is for the disciples. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to die. After I die, even after I die and I resurrect, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go to be with the Father. So I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. You start to see what his concern is for that what's most precious to him. Holy Father. Only time Christ uses this phrase. In the book of John, he says, Holy Father, one time, and it's in this prayer. It's this kind of weird pairing of, you are entirely separate, holy, pure, undefiled by the things that Christ is down here on earth dealing with.
but your father, your dad. When he tells the disciples how to pray, he says, Heavenly Father. So he's got this father image before, but he says, Because you're holy and separate, powerful and undefiled, but still father, I can ask you for what I'm about to ask you. I know you care about this. In spite of being untarnished and, un and unblemished by sin, I know you care about what I'm, supposed to, what I'm about to say. He says, keep them in your name. He's talking about protect what's precious to me. Make it precious to you and protect it. Like you would protect your family. Which you have given me that they may be one. This is where the challenge for unity starts to come in. And a lot of times the latter part of this passage is used to talk about unity. And we'll touch on that. But, but he says, because you're protecting them all together, I want them to be one, even as we are one. And unity is, as you know, a difficult thing because we all experience different things. We're all different people. And we sometimes trade understanding of unity for uniformity. And that's not what he's saying. I want them to all be gathered together and all focused on one thing. When I was talking about this with Pastor Nathan and um, some of you this week, he reminded me of something that happened just this week that's a pretty good example of this. And it, it helped me see what kind of unity God or Christ was asking for in this passage. This week we had the Kids Hope Pizza Party. And at the Kids Hope Pizza Party, you hang out with your kid if you're, if you're a Kids Hope mentor. Uh, we were over at Pine Trails Elementary. And so we had a bunch of pizza and hung out with our first through fifth grade uh, students. And then you take two pictures every year as a group. There's individual pictures taken out through, throughout the year, but you take two pictures. And we take a serious picture where we all stand there in a big group with our, our students and we're all kind of lined up and Linda takes a picture. And then every year she assigns somebody to, to come up with an idea for a goofy picture. And for some reason she picked me to plan the goofy picture. And she said, I want you to come up with a really good idea. And, and she set, the high bar, set a high bar with me having seen some of the other goofy pictures. And I'm thinking, all oh, week, what am I going to have these kids do? And how do you wrangle, you know, 15 or so uh, first through fifth graders to do the same thing? So I thought, this will be fun. This is what we'll do. So we're all lined up on the wall. And I said, what I want us to do is I want us to all look at the same point on the wall across the gym. So maybe from here to the other side of the gym. I want us to all look at the same point on the wall with a look of terror on our face. Point, scream, go like this, whatever you want to do, but look at the same thing. And so I picked this little sign, I think it was a door number or something on the wall across the gym and said, everybody just look at that little blue sign. Do you see what I'm talking about? And so these first through fifth graders, you know, they, they were fine taking a goofy picture, but they all look and the leaders and we all look and point and scream at that little sign on the back wall of the gym. We we're all looking at the same thing. We're all focused on the same thing. We we're doing different things in that focus. Some of us were pointing, some of us were screaming silently or literally, and some people were making different expressions. And I told them, just imagine a dinosaur is bursting through that wall at all of us. And everybody lit up and focused on the same thing. What Jesus wants for his disciples so they're all different, and they will all take different courses in their ministry. What he wants for his church, and churches are all different. They take different courses. But what he wants is for us to all be focused on the same thing. I'll be looking to the back of the room to the one that saved us, the one we just sung about. So he wants us to all focus on that, and he's asking at that moment, at the end of his life, knowing what's about to happen, this is on his heart. When I was with them, I kept them in your name. He's going to continue to use this protective 
language, and he's asking, I'm not going to be here physically, able to do this and guide them. And he knows, he predicted, you will scatter. This is going to be terrifying for you. In this world, you'll have lots of trouble in John chapter 16. But he says, I've been protecting them physically while I've been with them in this ministry. And he's trusting the Father to begin to do that in his absence. Which you have given me. I have guarded them. He's driving home how precious the disciples, you and I, are to him. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That scripture might be fulfilled. I just italicize that to point out something. Even within this prayer, God, Jesus is demonstrating his trust in God's word by pointing out, hey, what's happening. Keep in mind, this is with Judas is happening right now. Judas is gone, working his deal to betray Christ, coordinating that. Jesus points out, even in this prayer, the Bible's right. God's word is true and trustworthy. Psalms 41, when David says, the one who is a close friend who's broken bread with me will raise his heel against me. Jesus is saying this is being fulfilled right now even as I pray to just demonstrate to those disciples in earshot God's word is trustworthy. I'm trusting this even with the guy who is betraying me to the death that I'm about to suffer. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What he's saying here is, I'm saying this on purpose, in earshot of the disciples. It's being written down by John for you and I to look at so that his joy, him in us, can be fulfilled, can happen. He didn't do this prayer out privately in the garden or up on the hillside away from the disciples. He did it in a crowded room with his best friends so that they would know what's most important. And that's that Christ, his personality, that manifestation that he showed would come out and how we exercise God's word in our lives. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Does anybody start to see that as they watch what's going on in the world? Feel out of place? Feel hated? Maybe you have a conversation with a coworker, and, and that just breaks the relationship because you have diametrically opposed positions on something? Jesus has been telling the disciples this the whole time. He said, I, they hated me before they hated you. They're going to hate you because they hated me. He's made this clear. The because is really important here. Because they are not of the world. So I think, I think about the rejection of the world and, and, and its increased rejection of Christianity and particularly God's word is what they're rejecting is, is God's truth. It's the rejection of the world is affirmation that the church is doing the right things. If we run into the world with how we are living, following God's word, not our own desires, not our flesh, following God's word, that rejection is what Christ predicted, and it's just affirmation that you and I are doing what we're supposed to be doing. And in the near future, he knows this will be true for his disciples as the, the temple authority immediately begin to arrest disciples uh, in the earliest chapters of Acts, we see that happen. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Well, that's profound. I think, you know, wouldn't it be nice if once you're saved, you're gone, you're up in heaven, everything's easy, you get that, whatever you dream heaven's going to be. I hear people say, like, my UP estate and my horse farm, and you get to go to heaven and escape pain, have your tears dried, don't need the sun because Christ is so bright. All these things we look forward to, wouldn't it be nice if it was instantaneous? In spite of what Christ could have prayed, he prayed, I don't ask that you do that. I don't ask that they get out of the world right now. 
In fact, he intentionally wants us in the world, and he'll touch on that in a moment. But that you keep them from the evil one. Now, keeping in mind that right now, Judas is betraying Christ. As we speak, Judas is working his deal to lead to the arrest of Christ. Christ is, preach, Christ is praying this in front of the disciples to remind them that you do, in fact, have an enemy. And, and I wonder, do you remember that? I'll admit, I've gotten complacent. I forget. No, he's, he's prowling to destroy me. He doesn't want to distract me. He wants to destroy me. Christ prays this in front of his disciples to remind them that there is an evil one. First, he exists, and you need to be protected from him. He's after all of you. And so he prays this, and he entrusts what's most precious with what's most evil. He entrusts the protection against that evil to the Father. So we see that Christ's heart trusts God's word, that he knows it's true. He got it directly from God presented who God was to man, manifested it, made it clear. And he trusts that God can protect. There was a time where I was, I, was, I, I said, you know, I worry about my family sometimes. And I was talking to Pastor Nathan about, what, what is this two years, not knowing it's going to be two years, but what is this pandemic thing? What are these changes going to be like for my kids? I'm afraid that I could get sick or they could get sick. And I did have some fears. And Nate just as he can, said, Brennan, God loves your kids more than you do. God loves your kids so much more than you do, Brennan. Do you think that he knows that they're precious to you and how much more precious they are to him? That just comforted me because I do remember that time when we had Jack, who is not that little baby in the picture anymore. When we had Jack, I remember thinking, God, I would never give my son for someone else. How, how did you do this? How did you bring yourself to love me so much that you'd put him through this on my behalf, because I would never do that for Jack, or, or with Jack, rather. I would never do that on someone else's behalf, and so I remember that God's protection is so reliable, so trustworthy, that that's what Christ was relying on as he prayed some of his last breaths here on earth, and that God loves my kids more than I ever will. We'll conclude this, this portion of this prayer with one more thing that Christ demonstrates. He returns to the scene. You've heard this a couple times. They are not of this world. I think he wants us to get this. If you feel out of place, it's intentional. You're not supposed to be comfortable with how things are going. And in fact, you should find yourself in conflict with the ideas, the practices, and the sin of this world. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify and sanctification are words we use quite a bit in the church. So if you're new to this, and you haven't heard the idea of sanctification, I'd like you to hear this just for a moment. We'll talk about sanctification because this is key on kind of the tail end of this prayer, what Christ is trusting God to do. I have many areas in my front yard. There's flower gardens, there's bushes and trees, there's a yard, there's a sidewalk, but there's a special area of my front yard. There's only one thing we do. It's a special area because it's been set out for a special purpose, and it has to be maintained. It needs work, needs repair. It's my driveway. Anybody have these on their driveway? Especially right now. You can tell this one may or may not have been obeyed. So when I go out in the winter and I know snow is coming, I mark out my driveway. It's, it's the only place I want to drive in my yard. It's for that purpose. When a tree branch falls on it, 
I have to pick that tree branch up. I have to maintain that. It's a constant work. This driveway doesn't clear itself as nice as that would be. It doesn't blow the leaves off every fall. It takes work, but it starts with delineating that part of my yard is for a special purpose. What God wants to do in your heart is he wants to say, your heart is mine for a special purpose. It's not like all the world's hearts. It's not the world. It's not like maybe your neighbor or your coworker's hearts. Now we hope that their hearts will become like yours. But right now, if you're a Christ follower, he's, he's put a stake in and delineated your heart as a special purpose. It's to be holy. But much like my driveway, it's not clean automatically. It's not free of branches or leaves or snow. Your heart has to have work done. That's where God comes in. That's where his word comes in. He cleans it. He purifies it. He helps you take better care of it. Like I have to take better care of my driveway. And it's for a special purpose. It's for the purpose of making him known to the world. As he has control over your heart and through the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, allows God's word to sink in and make that transformation. You hear that renewing of your mind. Then it becomes that special purpose. That, that place where, where, where he can make himself known to the people around you, better known to you as he grows you and maintains your heart. It's a cooperation between you and him. Jesus is saying at the end, as he's been doing this, he's been kind of doing this in person with his disciples. Hey, don't do this, do this. Act like this, don't act like this. Respond like this, don't respond like this. He's been doing that in person. He's now trusting the Father to do this. But there's a very important component that we can't miss. And sometimes when we get in trouble in sanctification, when we get burned out in sanctification, it's because we forget this part. Sanctify them in the truth. The truth. Well, what is the truth? I'm so glad you asked. He says, your word is truth. Everything about God's character, what he tells us in his word, what Christ lived out in front of the disciples is true. That's where the truth in all the universe comes from. It's where anything that happens to be true in all of the universe is true, comes from God and his character. It comes from his word and what he's demonstrated in Christ. So he's saying, I want this process to be done in their hearts, delineated for a special purpose. But it has to be done. It's indivisible from God's word. It's necessary for that to be done through his word. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. I heard another speaker say, and I think this is, I can't think of a better way to say it, and if I remembered who it was, I'd quote him, that Christ does not ask anything for his disciples, for us, that he's not willing to do. And so he says, for their sake, I consecrate myself. So for our sake, he's been consecrated sanctified, set apart for a purpose. And he's hours away from accomplishing that purpose, friends. When he's praying this prayer, he knows exactly what he's talking about when he says, for their sake, it's to save their souls from the death of sin and what it's going to take, what that consecration's actually going to mean. See him being tortured and beaten and, and put on a cross, displayed for the world, for the world's sake. So he, he trusts the Father by asking the Father to sanctify his disciples, to sanctify you and I, and says, because this is happening to me, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So at the end of everything, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't teach anymore. 
He gets arrested on trial and dies. At the end of everything, the last truth that Christ delivers to his disciples, at least directly, is that they need to be set apart like he's being set apart. That they have a special purpose that he will work salvation for many people through the gospel that they they will share in, in the coming months and years. Lastly, I think the takeaway we can get here is that the heart of Christ, what, what is most true about him, what is the, the best display of who he was to the disciples in the time that he shared with them and what he allowed to be written down for us is that he trusts God's work. He trusts that God will continue to work sanctification in these disciples as he leaves them, as he departs from them and can no longer do it. He trusts the Father will continue to do that in their lives. So if you want to boil it down to what what his heart is, I think we need to hear this. I think trust in the Father. The heart of Christ has complete trust. Sharing you and I with the Father because he knows that we were the fathers to begin with. He trusts the Father. And secondly, he had abundant care for you. In verse 20, we'll, we'll go into this section next. He says, everything I just asked for, I also ask for those who believe in the words of these, the disciples. So he had this prayer for us too. He says, this is what's on my mind, is those who come after me, when I leave and I come to to heaven with you, those who come after these disciples, I care desperately for them. I hope if you're hurting and you feel just so far from God and broken and beat up that you hear that as he breathed and prayed in his last time, his last hours with the disciples, he was thinking about you. He's thinking about how what he was going to do is going to be good enough to save your soul. If you would receive that and know that and believe that. So do, do that. Make his priorities for you your priority. If you haven't heard this before, if you've joined this stream for the first time or you're visiting us, this is what Christ offers you, but you have to receive it. See, there were people who didn't receive it. They heard Christ once, turned their back and left. Or they, they had animosity and became his enemy. But once you receive it, once it, once, once it comes into your mind and you read it and you're in your time alone with God and his word, maybe for the first time you flip it open and start in, a, start in a gospel. You flip it open and you start to see what Christ was like. Remember, that's what God is like. And, and then know it. Let it sink in and, and maybe change something. Start to allow it to change something in your heart. Again, cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that. And then believe. Allow that to carry you on to a different action than you would have had before. The disciples were not the same men after this that they were two and a half years earlier when they were fishing. They were transformed. And again, if you don't believe it, read Acts. It's incredible. They truly believed this, and it carried them across the globe, east to west, north to south, as far as you could go at that time. They carried what they had received, what they knew, and what they believed to others. And if you deal with fear, if you deal with anxiety, if, if there are times in your week where you feel especially vulnerable and you're very conscious that there's an evil one out there seeking to destroy you, trust God's protection of you. Because Jesus did. When it was about to be out of his hands, as he was about to be crucified, he entrusted God with your protection and with his disciples' protection. Trust that he loves you more than you love yourself, than you love your children, than you love your spouse or significant other. He 
loves you. And then if you are a believer and you feel this tension of what it's like to live in the world, trying to follow this word, and you're trying to make your heart that special place for God to do his work, trust that he'll do it. But it comes a lot through putting God's truth into those difficult circumstances that you walk into. It comes a lot through the difficulty of this world. It comes a lot through the work of the Holy Spirit to convict you, hey, you need to mark this off for me, and then doing that. It comes a lot through fellowshipping with other believers, learning from them, hey, what do you do when this happens? This is how that work will occur. So I hope if you're hurting this week and, and you need to hear that you're precious, that you see Christ spent a lot of time talking about you and had it written down for a reason. And if you're thinking about what will I think at the end of my life, what will be most precious to me, remember that you were that for him. And so maybe follow some of these priorities as you allow these words and this word to sink into your heart and see what it can do to, to clear that path for, for God to work. Do his work in your heart. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you would even give us your word and not leave us on our own. I'm thankful that you're willing to send your son when I wouldn't and, and give us a chance at, at seeing you in the flesh acting out in front of the disciples what your heart for us is like. Thank you for giving us this word and this time together and we just pray that it be used to encourage, uh, that it be used to steer and correct and that your heart, or your word, rather your word would be the sanctifying truth that we trust. Be with us this week and help us to uh, avoid the evil one, protect us from the evil one, and give us uh, wisdom as we encounter the world and people in the world who desperately need to know how precious they are to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.